On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we are breaking down the NFL draft. I think everyone would say it was a monster success. According to all the metrics, it broke all the viewership records for the NFL draft with over 55 million people watching. But that's not what we're going to discuss here. We're going to discuss some of the winners and losers of the draft. We also are going to be talking about the New York football giants. Of course, how could we not? But we're welcoming on our insider Coulter for some of his draft analysis, as well as our resident Patriots fan Bill Hughes to talk about what the Pats did. A lot of things to go on here. What were the Packers doing? What were the Bears doing? But also we got some winners and some losers. The Dolphins come away with their guy uh, without trading anything they got two at five and picked a tackle, so a lot to break down here. And then, of course, I got to tell you how the Giants did and my thoughts on what Dave Gettleman did this year. So stay tuned for episode 72 of Double Down Trent. Double Down Trent, you might want to tune in. Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win. Pop culture to movies. Let's start up the combo. Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto. Keep it authentic and it's always live. So competitive, so you know it's always hype. Make sure you subscribe. Trust you don't want to miss. Going all in here on Double Down Trent. Hey, yeah. Double Down Trent, let's go. This is Double Down Trent. All right, the NFL draft is in the books. Some teams have improved. Some teams made some head scratchers. A lot to break down. So on the show, we're welcoming back our NFL insider, Coulter. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. The draft was so much fun. Getting to cover it from the inside this year was, uh, you know, a lifelong dream being at NBC and, and doing it there. And so it was just so much fun seeing everything happen in real time and, and uh yeah, I think the Broncos improved. So that's always the most important thing when you're entering the draft is getting better after the three days. And I think Denver definitely did that. Yeah. And if you're not spoiling any insider secrets, we're going to definitely ask on uh, what it's like being inside a, a, a media room for the draft. So that's going to be interesting. And then also on the show, our resident Patriots fan who's living in Philly, Bill Hughes. How you doing, bud? Doing well, man. Good to see you guys again. And uh, excited to talk a little football. It was nice to have sports back in our life a little bit. Uh, felt like it had been so long. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We got a lot to discuss. Uh, I think all in all the draft, the, the virtual draft went pretty well. Uh, and it's the most Patriots thing. I guess I'll just start real quick. Cause you're the Patriots fan. Of course, Bill trades out of the first round. What did you think about that action there, Bill? Yeah, I figured I mean, it was one of those things where, I mean, I honestly think if there, there are a couple guys that had fallen to them, I think they maybe would have traded up a, a few spots or, um, pounced at that spot. But I think once it, once it got there and none of the tackles were left um, and there really wasn't a whole lot from, for what I think they were going after. I think they need, they wanted to get back into the second round after trading a second round pick for Sanu during the season. Um, and Bill's all about value. So uh, though I was eagerly waiting the entire time to watch it, um, just having sports back, I feel like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as hard as some years when you, when you're, when you're at 11 o'clock waiting for the 30th pick and a 32nd pick and he trades out, but it was, <laughs> well, it was expected. That yeah, the nice thirty-second pick trade out is is uh, yeah, that's that's a classic Belichick. Make you wait all night and then <laughs> yeah, pull the carpet from underneath you <laughs> for sure, for sure. So let's look at uh, the quarterbacks because obviously they define every draft, especially the first round here, uh, pretty much how we expected as it as it started here. But Coulter, what was your main takeaway from the quarterbacks and kind of where they fell throughout the first round? Um, my main takeaway from 
from a football standpoint is I think they all landed in situations where they can win. Um, and you're going to kind of hear this from me, I'm sure throughout the pre NFL season, but one of the teams I'm actually shockingly high on is this is uh, LA chargers. I know they have no home field advantage, but I think without the crowds that might factor in positively for them, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like Herbert, but I think he landed in a perfect situation there. And I think Tua is going to have time with Fitzpatrick. So I think that situation works. And I think Jordan Love will at least have a year, if not two years with Aaron Rodgers. So I think all these situations work. The Bengals have now cleared out. Obviously, room Dalton is now cut. So Burrow is their guy. There's not even a competition there, which I think is healthy. So in terms of the first four guys that went off the board, I think in, from a football standpoint, awesome for all of them. Gambling standpoint, as we went over I thought Tua was going to slide a little bit uh, later in the draft, but it went pretty much straight how Mel Kuyper had been predicting it and all the other pundits. So it was Tua at five and then Herbert at six. So yeah, it, it played out pretty straight over the la- the first couple of picks in the draft. So it was a little boring to get up to get out of the gates, but then it got interesting when teams started trading. The Bucks traded up and the Patriots traded out. So there were some good storylines throughout the night. I think after the first dozen or so picks. Bill, what was your takeaway? And we're going to get to Dalton, but what was your takeaway on the, the quarterbacks that got picked? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was uh, – I totally agree on, in terms of being a little uh, boring from, from the jump. Um, I, think, I think people had predicted that some of the teams that drafted the quarterbacks that they did maybe would have traded back and, you know, like taken that risk. But, I mean, I think if you, if you like a quarterback, this is the NFL. you got to draft him. You can't, you can't mess around with it, and I think you saw that at the top of the draft. Um, teams that wanted to go get a quarterback knew the guy – you know, I think that they, it had been pretty clear where guys were going to slot in, um, and they they pounced. And so uh, I think yeah, it wasn't until we got to the tackles where it was kind of a coin toss as to who was going to go where, and uh, and then yeah, some of the trades and and some of the, I mean I don't know if they're head scratchers. I think the love thing towards the end, um, I don't know if it adds any insult to injury that they traded up to do it, um, but at the same time, uh, I think it was funny that Aaron Rodgers earlier in the day had said it would be pretty cool if the Packers decided to uh, use a first round pick on a skill position for the first time in 15 years, seemed like a little bit of a, uh, Arya Stark knife, uh, trick in the back, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I think there's only bad blood between them, especially with that trade up because they didn't address the receiver position. This guy, I'm sure you guys have seen the stat has not had a first round receiver. He's thrown one touchdown to a first round draft pick his entire career. Uh, so there's nothing but bad blood. The fact that they use an extra pick, to move up to get a quarterback. And then the quarterback is what it is, what it is that they trade, they got love. But then in the second round, when there's still receiver talent on the board, they take a running back Dylan. They don't need a running back. Aaron Jones is fine. I like Jamal Williams as a backup. I don't, I don't understand that pick at all. The Packers we'll get into the kind of breakdown of the grades in a little bit. I have them as one of the biggest losers in the draft, but it's not even because of love. I, I actually think the love situation makes sense. He's going to have time to develop there. And they're obviously a winning organization that knows what they're doing with the quarterback position. But man, the rest of their draft is actually where they really lost me. I don't like this kid Dylan at all. It seems like he's going to have a very short NFL career. And I don't understand how he compliments Aaron Jones. Jones led the league in touchdowns. Dylan is a goal line running back. He doesn't seem like he's a playmaking catching back. He's not an Alvin Kamara at all. He's Aaron Jones, basically. I thought both their decisions were just such head scratchers. I mean, they were one game away from the Super Bowl, and a couple of things break differently. They're in the Super Bowl. Why not load up you know, for Rodgers' you know last run? You know I had the Packers-Chiefs uh, parlay. Yeah, we'll get exactly. To my, we'll get to my parlay later in the podcast, my uh, my futures pick. But, yeah, no, the Packers, you're right, were a couple bounces away from being in the Super Bowl. The fact that 
they didn't want to get better, I think is so confounding to me. And then they finally take a tight end in the third round. You know, I have a, a friend who's a Packers fan. He kind of pointed to that as, oh, yeah, here's the target. We don't know if this guy's going to be good or not. How often do third round tight ends pan out? Not to mention Rodgers, his best skill set. Yeah, he's made tight ends look good in the past, but his best skill set is pushing the ball downfield vertically. You know, the tight end will help, but it's this is not what they needed. They needed a playmaker. There were so many in this draft. They didn't get any. It's yeah. a big a big D, if not an F grade for them in the draft. I mean, if you're planning to trade up, imagine pairing Devonte Adams with one of these weapons at receiver that was in this draft. I mean, it's kind of scary to think about. And now you got to worry about a fractured relationship with Rogers. So they got a whole shitstorm. Uh, I just want to quickly touch on the, the first couple of picks here, because there are some rumors that Miami was trying to trade into one and take Burrow. Now, Bill, do you think that was just kind of disinformation to make people think that they weren't high on Tua? Or do you think that was like legitimately something that they were trying to do? So, I mean, I guess to me, it seemed like Burrow was the best, safest, most plug and play option in this draft. I think that he has all the skill sets. Obviously he's changed schools. He's learned multiple offenses. You could say he's, you know, had an ultimate level of success in, you know, as he's grown. But I mean, I can't imagine that they thought Cincinnati would bite unless they felt there was some type of crack in the, in the relationship there, Cincinnati taking the hometown guy seemed like such a no brainer. Um, and I, I just, I can't imagine. So, um, it might've been a little bit of, uh, posturing on their part, but at the same time, I do think it also potentially answers the question that everybody was asking was of, are people completely confident in Tua? And is Tua completely healthy? And I think, you know, whether it was the questions about Tua's health, Herbert's kind of maturity and ability to translate into the pro game, um, I do think Burrow was the slam dunk from for all intents and purposes. And so it's possible that anybody was trying to get up to number one to take him if they needed a QB. Yeah, I I said it that I thought Tua was going to the Dolphins. I just thought they were going to be trading up to three potentially. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. But I think the big winner of that is the Dolphins. They got their guy that they wanted without having to give up any of their draft capital. And they went through. They got a tackle later on. Now, we can say maybe he's not the, the most plug-and-play ready tackle. But for where they got him, uh, Austin Jackson, I think is his name, uh, Great picks. Now you got your left tackle and your quarterback without having to give up any capital. So I think they were a huge winner there. Uh, now, Colt, you're high on Herbert at the at the Chargers here. Tell me why. I'm more high on the chart. I think there's value. We'll get to that more in the, the gambling segment. I think there's value, uh, the division odds. I think there's value with Herbert for Rookie of the Year. And I think there's odds on Joshua Kelly, the running back that they drafted for Rookie of the Year, uh, just from a value standpoint. I just think that the Chargers have the best defense um, in that division. And I think with a team that's coming off a Super Bowl, you know that they are going to be uh, obviously a contender, Kansas City, but a lot of people are going to be picking them. They're going to think that's a done deal. And I think Herbert, you know, he went back to school for a year. I think that was an important decision for him. I think he's coming into the pros and he's ready to win that job from Tyrod Taylor. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but they're a team that possesses a lot of value. I mean, you're looking at Herbert could start all 16 games from them. Uh, and he's 24 to one to win rookie of the year, whereas two is seven to one. And I don't even know if two is going to get uh, a single start this upcoming season. Whoa, not a single one. Well, I, mean, I think that's it. I mean, I think with the hip with Fitz there. Yeah, with the with the hip and Fitzpatrick, I think Fitzpatrick gives them a much. Uh, he, the path towards winning seven or eight games with Fitzpatrick is there. I I don't know if I see that with Tua in year one. 
Um, I do think the Dolphins, to kind of bring it back to, they did a good job in this draft. I don't necessarily know if they're a winner, but I think you hit on something that was a really important point is that they didn't waste any of their capital um, to go up and get Tua. And this is really, really important. I read this earlier today. What it would have taken to get up to three was the number 40 pick. And so the Dolphins actually possessed the 39th pick. So that would have what they, is what they would have had to deal to get up to number three. That ended up being Robert Hunt, who was a first-round rated guard. He could be a starting left guard for the next 10 to 15 years and pair him with Jackson. I mean, that's how you win the draft uh, subtly. I, I don't know if they won the draft. We'll see how it plays out in the next five to 10 years. But if they could get a starting left guard with that, what would have been a trade up to three, that's a huge slam dunk and a big win for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I mean, I just think they used all their picks wisely. They got a left tackle, a guard, a corner, a D tackle, and two. I mean, that was all in the first and second round. So they got, they got I think, Roquan Davis too from Alabama, the D tackle at the end of the second round. Yep. So, I mean, th- this is a team, I, again, not in my top 10 of teams that quote unquote won the draft. I would say they're right on the outside, but that non trade, the fact that they were able to get two at five is so great for them. We're talking now, about it was going to be number one last year, right? Yeah. 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 And obviously Jordan Love is the big surprise, but was there any uh, guys that stood out either for getting picked above where they should have or have fallen uh, a little more than they did uh, in the first round? I have two guys. Uh, One of them ended up in the Saints who had a really confounding draft. I think they ended up with a really good center, uh, probably the best interior lineman in the draft. I know I just praised the guy that the Dolphins took Hunt, but this kid from Michigan Ruiz is probably the best center. So I like that pick. And then they ended up getting Bond in the third round. This guy was a, he was projected to go to the giants at the top of the second round. The fact that he fell as much as he did. I think that was one of the surprises of the draft. And on the flip side of the draft, I don't know if you saw this or not today, but the, the chicanery that Sean Payton used to get trade back up into the draft to get Tommy Stevens, his quarterback from Mississippi state, as good as the bond pick was for them in the value, I think this number 240th overall pick, I know it's a small pick. It doesn't mean anything. This is the biggest waste of time ever. I cannot believe that this guy, Sean Payton and his ego is that big that he needs to trade back into the draft when he has no draft picks just to go take another Taysom Hill when he already has a backup quarterback and Jason, uh, Jameis Winston. It is this guy's ego knows no bounds. And I think in terms of the best value pick, Zach bond, worst value pick, and I don't even know what the hell the Saints were doing with this Tommy Stevens in the seventh round, 240. I don't know. I don't get this team. Bill, what do you think? Was there a guy that uh, either rose or fell that you had your eyes on? Um, so, you know, I think I, I, I thought it went, again, fairly to script for most of it. I thought the fact that C.D. Lamb wasn't the first uh, wide receiver, I did think um, that, that w- he had the most explosive talent. I think that's, if we want to talk about the Cowboys, I did think the Cowboys had a good draft and really, um, you know, CD lamb falling to them when uh, the Eagles were waiting right there and needing a receiver. Um, again, the Eagles choosing not to trade up. There was a lot of talk that they ended up getting the guy that they wanted, you know, the, the typical line post draft. Um, but I do think uh, CD lamb was the one where I, I think someone, I, I think he could be a, an instant game changer for the Dallas Cowboys um, and really could take the league by storm with all his different skill sets. Um, so I think that was, I think that was the one for me that I thought, you know, maybe, maybe my bias against the Cowboys, but, um, I, I was, I was a little bit, uh, dis- disturbed that they ended up getting CD lamb where they did. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but my, uh, my big one was Isaiah Simmons. Not, you know, I, I had him as a potential to the giants at four 
We were talking, uh, Coulter, the, the bet, the over-under was six and a half, and obviously he slides to eight to the Cardinals. Uh, talk about a value pick for the Cardinals, getting Isaiah Simmons at eight. I mean, that's My, insane. I gave one A-plus. I don't know if you saw on Twitter. My single A-plus for the draft was Arizona, and not just because Cliff Kingsbury has that insane house. But <laughs> God, what a house. They got a steal with Simmons. They got DeAndre Hopkins all pro with their second-round pick. And they just kicked the draft, the draft's ass up and down the board. Uh, they just got to be so excited to go into next year. That division, I think, is much more up in the air than most people actually get uh, credit for. I know the Niners are a juggernaut, and Seattle was a 12-win team. But I think I think Seattle, Seattle's tra- trending down. I think the Rams are trending down. And I think Arizona's trending up. They were a really big winner uh, for this draft. I really, really enjoyed everything that they did. And the fact that they were able to, again, similar to Miami, just stay put at eight and end up with a player of that caliber without trading up any any uh, sort of picks. I mean, it's almost, it seems almost unfair, honestly. Yeah. And let's get to our teams because Billy mentioned CeeDee Lamb going to the Cowboys. One of my biggest takeaways as a Giants fan is that there are some disruptive forces now in the NFC East, and that sucks. The Redskins have Chase Young. The Cowboys get CeeDee Lamb. I mean, that is just not a good outlook for my team. Uh, I got a whole rant on the Giants. So let's first start with your guys' teams. Bill, I know the Pats kind of, you know, we're a little quiet maybe. We thought maybe they'd pick a, a quarterback, but how do you feel having the Pats come out of this draft with who they got. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think ultimately the Pats will play the draft uh, as they always have, which is if the values there, they'll make the pick. If it's not, they're going to try and trade out. And I think the same thing happened here. I think in the first round, they, the value wasn't there where they were at. They wanted to get back into the second round. So they traded out. Um, I think they got the positions that they needed to replace based off the guys that left. I thought they did a good job of replacing a lot of the people that they lost, you know, losing Van Noy, uh, losing some, um, you know, obviously, well, I shouldn't say they lost Gronk. They traded Gronk, but they haven't had a tight end um, really in two years. Matt Lacoste was okay. Um, but with Daniel Graham retired, Oh, come on. He was, he was below average. <laughs> it was terrible. No, he was terrible. No, I mean, they, they ultimately, he was a Bronco. Having, I know he stinks. Yeah. They went from having a hall of fame tight end to having no tight end production. And, I think it, you know, I think they went out and they did similarly the year they drafted Gronk and Hernandez. Um, they took two tight ends. I think uh, there were some people that were surprised that they didn't take um, the guy that the Saints ultimately ended up taking. Um, but I do think uh, both tight ends, uh, Asi Asi uh, specifically, you know, are going to ha- be able to have an impact both in multiple parts of their offense. I think that's what the Pats were, are, were ultimately going for in this draft, versatility. They love the four down player. They love guys that can contribute on special teams as well as play on all downs. And I think they really went out and hit a lot of those notes in this draft. I don't think they wanted any of the quarterbacks necessarily, unless they could get up to the top of the draft. So I think that it made sense that they stayed away from the quarterback position. I really think, you know, I've I've talked about Dalton a little bit, and I know that was mentioned earlier. I really think that if Dalton at the right price is an option, but if you look at what Winston just signed for, I can't imagine Winston wouldn't have rather had a chance to compete for a starting job if the opportunity was there in New England. And he signed for nothing. I mean, he signed for like a million bucks. And the opportunity they don't have a, definitely was not there with Bill Belichick. Not a chance. And and I think that that's you know that's that's the interesting play is 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 it there for Andy Dalton? They don't have a lot of cap space, um, so I don't. I wasn't surprised that they did end up bringing in a quarterback um, as an un, uh, as an undrafted free agent. So. Um, I don't know that doesn't, didn't really move the needle, but I do think they're going to give Stidham a shot. I think 
there's all there's a media campaign going right now to really from not only players but media people in up in New England to really kind of put the stamp of this, give this kid a chance. Um, so so we'll see. Uh, they did draft uh, his, one of his roommates, um, which I thought was kind of crazy. Um, I believe I can't remember who what, I can't remember which guy it was, um, but the you know I think they're they're going to try and build around him and see what happens. Uh, but I thought they hit the typical Pats notes, and um, I was a little upset in the first in the second round. I'm not going to be honest. I wanted Delpit as uh, as their safety replacement. Um, they went with a guy, um, pretty much Duggar. an NAIA guy. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> it was kind of crazy. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't NAIA, but um, but then you watch some of the tape and you see some of his raw ability, some of the stuff he did at the combine, and I think it makes a lot of sense for the Pats, right? He he checks a lot of the belt check boxes in terms of versatility. Um, he can he, he can contribute in the return game. I think that they have not had that in a number of in a number of years outside of Edelman, which was always a little bit of an injury concern, and and the year they had Cordero Patterson. But I think I think it was a good draft for the Pats. Uh, not a lot of fireworks, um, but at the same time they got to rebuild this thing. They're not in a good situation cap wise. Um, and I, and I think that they, they realize that the future is not 2020. The future is making sure that from 2021 and on they're set up for, uh, for few, for success. I could have swore it was going to be Del Pitt with that pick, but no, the unknown it's safety Belichick. from Lenore Ryan. Yeah. It's Belichick. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't pick national champion, top 10 talent from a year ago type guys who've fallen into the second round. No way. Unbelievable. Now <laughs> he, would ne- I, he would never yeah. do that. And I thought Delpit really hit fit the fit the mold too. It was like a guy who had a more successful junior year or saw whatever the year before had that was injured at an ankle, um, did not play like a, his from what a lot of the experts were saying, his tape didn't look good in terms of missed tackles and things of that nature. I thought the value was there for him. Um, but yeah, Bell's I was going a, off, I was aching for the Broncos to trade up warm in the second round. We had three third round picks, and I could not get why we didn't trade up. But I guess they're just happy with Simmons and Kareem Jackson over the other safety spots. Uh, but I'm that that Delpit. I was I was crying out for us to trade up for him. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of surprising. Bill, I got to be honest, man. I I think you have to prepare yourself for the red rifle coming into town. You no. Know? Inside information, no? Jacksonville. I'm calling it again. I got this wrong with last week. The Jaguars will move on a quarterback. They're not going to go into the season with just Gardner Minshew. Their owner is insane, but he's not that insane. I guarantee Andy Dalton or Cam Newton goes to Jacksonville much faster than they go to so, New England. Yeah, I, I would I put a, I would put a sizable bet that it's Hoyer versus Stidham for the starting job next year. Yeah, I, and I, I can put a. I, I think I was hearing some of the same stuff today from the the angle that obviously Jay Gruden's now in Jacksonville, Jay knows Dalton that supposedly the Bengals had really been trying to leverage the Patriots to get a trade with Jacksonville when, before they released him and that there were potentially some rumors that were maybe not as true as people thought around uh, Dalton to the Pats to try and get him to Jacksonville. Um, so I, I, I do think that that makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of him going down there. Um, and I think, you know, I think from the Pats situation, Again, I I don't worst case scenario, you end up with knowing one way or another whether Stim's your guy, and maybe he isn't, and you're in a draft next year where, I mean, maybe you're in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Who knows? I think they can win that division with even a, a mid tier quarterback, and so I think to your point, it's like it, it's worth a gamble because it's like Stidham could be nine and seven and win that division, you know, yeah. with Belichick, it doesn't make any sense on paper. Cause they don't look like a nine and seven team, but with the way they're coached and 
just the yeah. pedigree of that franchise. They could easily be nine and seven, ten and six with Stidham. We've seen it before with Matt Castle. And if it's not, then it falls apart and he's five and eleven and he's in a position to go draft a quarterback next year. Right. Yeah, and I think I think for them too, I mean they're they still have the you know reigning defensive player of the year. They still have a defense that they think they sure. can hang their hat on. They're just I mean, I, I hate to say they recycle the game plans from, you know, early Brady era Patriots, but I mean it, they're gonna have to rely on their defense. They know that. They went out and got a bunch of depth to try and back some of that up, not only in free agency with some I, what I thought were some very strategic ads that people were like, huh, I wonder why they're going after like mid-tier, you know, real depth plays and guys that are going to be consistent. It's that they're going to try and win on defense and they're going to try and pound the rock, which, you know, they've got plenty of running backs. That was the other surprise for me a little bit that they didn't draft a running back. I really thought if DeAndre Swift was there in the second round that they were going to take him. Um, another Georgia running back coming to town. Uh, but you that just took you just took the words right out of my mouth. The one thing I feel like Belichick will regret, and it's not missing on the quarterbacks here, is I feel like he's going to regret on potentially not drafting Hilaire. When the Chiefs are burning them with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire next year, yeah. I guarantee Belichick is going to want to be, God, I wish I picked that guy at 23 and didn't trade out and take Duggar in the second round. I just, right. I can already see that guy just being a beast. Yeah. The Chiefs no, are going to use that guy to such perfection. He's going to kill the Broncos too, I should add. It's always the, that that's always a, a bit of a, a bit of a kick when, you know, the team that just won the Super Bowl makes an absolutely perfect first round pick. And you're like, God, here we go again. Yeah. Just, you know, adding another yep. weapon to the, uh, yep. to the arsenal. So yeah, it was yeah. the ultimate, just like a gluttony pick. Nobody in the first 31 picks were ever going to take you there. And so of course he's just going to fall right into the chief's lap. And it was a, yeah, that was a great pick by them. The rest yeah. of their draft was a little bit spotty, but I, I think they, He's going to be a beast. We'll talk about him later on the rookie of the rookie of the year odds, but uh, he'll be a great player for sure. Yeah, and Coulter, you bring up the Broncos. I thought you guys had a pretty good draft. What what, what were your takeaways? Yeah, I think uh, us and Miami are in the very similar spot in that we drafted Alabama players who were probably rated higher um, or evaluated higher and that fell into our laps, and we didn't have to waste draft capital. So very similar to what I said about uh, the Dolphins got that guard. You know, they didn't have to trade up, so they got this guard uh, hunt. The Broncos, talk about an extra Christmas gift. If we had to trade up for Jerry Judy, there would be no K.J. Hamler. Anytime K.J. Hamler gets in the end zone in the next three to four years as a Bronco, just remember, if we had to trade up to get Jerry Judy at 8, 9, or 10, we would have not had that 46th overall pick. K.J. Hamler would be in Buffalo, or not Buffalo, Cleveland, or Jacksonville, or something like that. Instead, he's a Bronco for free, basically, because we had we got to land Judy at 15. So I think that's a huge win. I know a lot of people have been crying out about the double receiver pick. We'll see how that goes. I'm not in love with it. I would have preferred a secondary person in the second round. But that's a free pick because we were able to stay at 15 and get Judy, which is, I think, one of the biggest wins of the entire draft. And then the rest of it, I think, went pretty well. Uh, Jamudier uh, from Iowa. I think I had this bizarre dream that he was a top five corner, but that might just be the Bronco. <laughs> that might be the Bronco <laughs> blinders on. But I think he's going to be good. He's long, and uh, I think that you know he is the prototypical size. He reminds me of somebody that the Seahawks would have picked back when the Legion of Boom was going on. I think we got a lot of value with him. The rest of the draft, I think, went pretty well. A lot of receivers, um, and clearly they're just trying to uh, add to the arsenal for Drew Locke and play catch up with the Kansas city chiefs. The real problem is how far are we behind? Yeah. And I hate to say, I told you so Coulter, but didn't I say before we were the draft, that it'd be nice to add a weapon with Drew Locke. Yeah. You know, we haven't added a receiver in the first round since Demarius Thomas. And before him, it was Ashley Lee from Hawaii. So 
as a Bronco fan, it doesn't happen often that we add an explosive guy. But you know what I heard today uh, from one of my favorite Denver beat writers is that J- you guys are going to this is going to blow your mind. Jerry Judy was the number one overall rated player on Denver's big board. Isn't that wild? Elway <laughs> had you, you never hear that Joe Burrow above uh, above Chase Young. I mean, that is one of the craziest things I've heard. So. When I heard that, I did an extra jump in the air. I'm always just hesitant about a first-round receiver being a bust, especially in year one. I think there's going to be problems with the coronavirus and uh, coordinating with the quarterback and all that stuff. So I'm a little afraid there. But, you know, Judy's a great route runner, and, and I'm very excited. I should have I, – I forgot to mention we got the center from LSU, Cushionberry, too, which was a great pick at the end of the third round. Um, yeah. So I got really that happy. was – I was going to say real quick, a guy I was clamoring for the Giants to pick, and you guys snagged him. Yeah. For whatever we didn't end up doing with Del Pitt, I think we got back with taking the LSU center because I think he's a day one starter and you get another day one starter in Judy. So you got to give a pretty solid grade to the Broncos. I'm trying to be impartial, but, you know, whenever you can get two offensive starters in one draft and know that you did, I think it's pretty good. And Hamler, again, is he's just like the cherry on top. Anytime he gets a punt return and takes it to the house, I'm going to be thinking, man, I'm so happy we didn't trade up with Arizona or Jacksonville and waste that pick because that, that's exactly what was going to end up happening. Yeah, and I feel like as long as Elway's not drafting a quarterback, he makes some pretty good picks. <laughs> it's so Elway, Elway has a really good. Uh, this is what he's actually made his his butter on is uh, or buttered his bread on is the undrafted free agents. He has been so good with those Chris Harris, C.J. Anderson. You know, the it runs the gamut every time that there's a guy, uh, Shaq Barrett, who led the league in sacks last year. So Elway's really good with the guys who can get off the street. It's in the first round where he really struggles, and he gets guys like Garrett Bowles and. Uh, Paxton Lynch. So, Oof, Paxton Lynch. <laughs> yeah. So my only thing I got to point out about this now, Coulter, is your team has weapons on offense. You have to now expect Drew Locke to take a major step forward. Do you think that's a little too much pressure on him, or is he going to come up to play? Well, I think the real problem as a Bronco fan, and and this is why people wanted the left tackle, was you know Locke has all these weapons, but if he's getting chased out of the pocket and he can't set his feet and he can't make the throws and he's running for his life, it's going to be the same exact situation as uh, Case Keenum and Joe Flacco had. Um, the reason why Locke played well last year is because the line actually played better down the stretch than it did in the first half of the season, but it's still a big unknown. Obviously, with Mike Munchak coaching the offensive line, I'm, I'm optimistic. But um, I think Drew Locke's development really depends on the left tackle, and that's Garrett Bowles. If he's protected, he has the weapons, to your point. There's no reason why he shouldn't be in the top 14, 13 in passing yards, completion percentage. I definitely am aiming for him to be in the top half and even higher than that with the weapons that he has and the running game, too. I mean, you have to think Lindsey and Gordon on offense. It really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And fan. And they drafted another tight end, Albert yep. O from Missouri, who is Drew Locke's teammate. So the offense could be a lot of fun. I mean, I think it's one of those things where we're trying to mimic the Chiefs clearly and be as explosive and high scoring as possible, which is a really weird uh, change of pace because we've been the defensive team in the division for a while now. And I think the Chargers are going to kind of take that mantle. And, and now the Chiefs and Broncos are going to be the uh, kind of gunslinging, high octane offenses. And hopefully we're. Uh, we're the B plus version of the chiefs. And that means we'll be in the playoffs. If, well, especially with, a, Go ahead, say with a, with a defensive head coach, um, you know, it had to kill him a little bit for uh, draft all these offensive weapons. Uh, I know that he, uh, he covets those linebackers that can uh, get in there and make plays. Well, this again, it's to the point of Elway found these undrafted guys last year who became 
starters overnight. There was another linebacker again last year. So it's like these guys, you know, you could turn a guy who off the street into a starting linebacker in year one. It's impressive stuff. So um, I think that's what allows us to have the freedom of reign to go get a Jerry Judy and not think about Patrick Queen at LSU or um, who's the kid Murray from Oklahoma that the Chargers yeah, yeah. ended up taking. So the focus was on the offense because I think there is confidence in in the defense. I think the problem we have is going to be in that corner, and we didn't we addressed it with Jamudier. We'll see if he's the guy or not. If he's not, then we're going to be picking a corner round one next year for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think you guys are going to be uh, very entertaining, at least at the at the very minimum, a very entertaining division. I don't know if you're going to be able to hang with the Chiefs, but I think you guys I, can compete. I think the, Bron- the Broncos will be Roger Goodell's darling. They will be a seven and eight, eight and seven team on the last week of the year, fighting for that seventh playoff spot. With Drew Locke, the young rookie, and the you know the kind of fun offensive pieces. Uh, I definitely could see us playing that role, which I'm fine with playing. I don't think we're totally there yet to take over the AFC, but. If we can make that step and be in contention for a playoff spot this year, that would be a great sign of things to come. Yeah. So we'll now shift to my team, the New York football giants. My, 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 my expectations were not high going into this draft, but you knew I said, as long as we got either Isaiah Simmons or a left tackle, I thought I was going to be very happy with the pick. Ultimately we take Andrew Thomas. I, you know, I don't think you can nitpick. I mean, I, I guess you could say he wasn't the the best rated of the four of those guys, the the four tackles that were out there. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's really hard to tell between who is going to succeed the most or the most quick out of those guys for me though. And and guys answer me this. Why in the hell did Dave not trade out? And I'm sure he tried to trade out the quarterback heavy teams. But when you look at this draft board and you see that Makai Becton goes 11 and Tristan worse goes 13 to the bucks. Are you telling me there's not one team between four and 12 that would want to trade up for somebody? No, I think you, you know, the dolphins did a great thing as we've already highlighted with not trading for Tua, And I think the charters also, because they were rumored to go up to three or four as well. I think those two teams, when I'm ranking who won the draft, that mechanic, the mechanics of the top six picks definitely has to factor in. So I think, I view it as the Giants and the Lions are a tier below of Miami and the Chargers, just because specifically just because the Chargers and Miami didn't have to trade up and they got the quarterbacks, especially that position. The fact that they didn't have to trade up, those two teams did a great job. And I think the Lions and the, the Giants really kind of didn't do a great job in that situation. I think the Giants get a fairly good grade on the draft, though, because I think McKinney was a steal in the second round. I actually really like the kid Holmes, too, from UCLA. So hopefully the secondary. But those two picks, I mean, that, if they are both starters in the secondary, that that defensive secondary can turn around really quickly and yep. give, the, give you guys some stability for sure. I, I also think that this was one of those years where it did seem like everybody kind of had like a general take on who they wanted. But all the guys were kind of like after you got through the first like really through after Burrow, I think even with the quarterbacks or the tackles, there were a lot of guys that were kind of in the same range. And I just think it, it was like pick your flavor. And I think you go with a guy who played at the highest level, you know, and there's been some success there in terms of offensive line would have come out of there uh, in terms of that coaching staff. So I think, you know, not, not that there haven't been out of Iowa and some of the other places, but I do think, you know, you get it. He's a Gettleman guy. Like, I don't know. It just looks like a Gettleman guy. <laughs> and I have no problem just taking sec studs. Like I have no problem with that. If the giants picked eight guys from the sec, I'd have been totally fine with that. And the first two picks 
obviously we're, we're sec studs. I do really like McKinney at the, the safety uh, people. I think are unfairly comparing him to Landon Collins just because of the, the second <laughs> round pick out of Alabama. I, there's just not much of a similarity between the two of them, in my opinion. So other than they fell off the first round and into, yeah. the, round and into the giant slap. Yeah. And that's really it. So yeah. Um, I, I really wasn't mad with Gettleman. The only thing I, I had to say about Dave is this fucking guy can't keep his mouth shut. So he makes his pick and I think everyone's happy. Everyone's just saying, all right, we got our guy. Fine. We got left tackle. He's going to start ideally for the next 10 years in the after press conference, whenever it was later that night, the next morning, whatever they're asking him, why did you go with Thomas over some of these other guys? And his answer was that he saw Andrew Thomas block against uh, Josh Allen last year, and he just did a, such a good job. And you knew how high I was on Josh Allen, so I thought he was a really good player. It's like, dude, the Josh Allen that you were so high on that you could have drafted last year, like, why even bring that back up? Why even open yourself to that wound again? I was just like, whatever. So then it, wasn't, said, it wasn't lost on him, though, that they need help on the edge. Because I was going to say, the one thing I liked about the Giants draft, similar to Carolina, who picked all defensive players, is the Giants didn't draft anybody that wasn't an offensive lineman, a pass rusher, or a defensive back. So they clearly knew what their needs were, and they hit those needs very hard, which I always appreciate. Um, it's like the old Kirk Cousins and RG3 thing. You might as well roll the dice twice. So I definitely yeah. like the fact that they picked some edge edge linebackers late in the draft. Obviously, those guys are not Josh Allen, but... Gettleman's at least conceding that that's a need. But the thing that got me too is I, I also really wanted um, the guy Zach Bond from from uh, Wisconsin as well. And the pick that the Giants ended up trading for Leonard Williams ends up costing them because if they keep that pick, Bond is there and they pick, they take him with their third pick. So, so, so you're going to be uh, looking at Zach Bond for a while. For a while. And I also – so the Saints really, besides you guys, to pick on a few people that I like, the Saints picked two guys – that I had circled on the Giants board, and that was the center, Cesar Ruiz from Michigan that we already talked about, and Zach Bond. And the Saints took both these guys. So it's going to be a tough look for them uh, going forward. But I think ultimately, if you're a Giants fan, you can't be upset with this draft. You got your starting left tackle. You got a plug-and-play, potential star safety. And then you load up on some uh, you know, depth, especially on the offensive line and on defense. So I think they had a pretty good pick. My only thought was they needed a center, and they made no effort to get a center. Now, they drafted this guy, Shane Lemieux, out of Oregon. He's a guard. He's a guy that I love. He didn't miss a start in college. So that's something to be said. And apparently, they're going to try him at center. So if they can plug him in at center, and if he works, all of a sudden, the Giants have a line. And as a Giants fan, that's all we've been asking for for the past couple of years. It's all about protecting Daniel Jones in New York. That's priority number one. Yeah, they weren't they weren't messing around. And, you know, Isaiah Simmons might have a great career in Arizona. I bet that he does. But at the end of the day, it's too there's too much of an investment in that offense not to add the insurance with the left tackle. And and so that's why they made the pick at four. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it made a lot of sense. I mean, I think uh, I think just, you know, even with Saquon, I mean, like you're you're two most the two guys you invested in the most. You have to provide them with the tools to get their job done. And I think it helps both ways. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, if the giants can piece together the defense and come out and play, you know, play in a division to your point. That's, uh, that got a little bit more interesting. That's for sure. I have, I, I have a real question for a giants fan here. What does it have to look like for DJ in terms of trending down and to a trending up 
to the to the point where you're like, how did we not draft two a fourth overall? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Because <laughs> I, I know like, it's one of the fun the fun subplot of this draft is the Redskins, Lions, and and Giants all could just be end up being like, wait, we way overthought this. The generational talent quarterback was here in the draft, and we could have had him two, three, or four, and we just let him fall to five. I mean, that was part of my anger with why the Giants picked Daniel Jones last year. Obviously, where they picked him, but. This year was the the hyped quarterback class. Like all these yeah. guys were going to be here, and we know if Jones what is a is. sophomore slump. It could get really ugly. Quickly. It could get very ugly. I think the only saving grace is that nobody expected them to take Tua just because we have Daniel Jones. But you're right. If DJ starts slumping, and Tua is all of a sudden shining out, we, we talked about Lamar earlier. Jackson. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I was on record. I think Tua is going to be fantastic. I mean, we saw his tape. His tape is at Alabama against LSC, L- against a- SEC teams, and just dominated. I mean, yes, he's an uh, injury risk, but so is anybody. I mean, the fact that a guy is injury prone to me is like a little bit of an overrated thing, in my opinion. But Tua is a fucking freak. You disagree, Bill? Well, I mean, I don't disagree with the injury thing because I do think it's relative, but I would be a little concerned with the double ankle hip situation that Tua's got going on. He, I also, and again, this goes back to just some personal stuff around. I don't like lefty quarterbacks. I'm not a lefty quarterback guy. I think the lefty quarterback thing changes the entire way you have to run your offense. And not to say that there haven't been guys that are successful lefties. It's just not, I'm, I'm just saying from a fan's perspective, when I'm tuning in on Sundays, if the quarterback's a lefty, I don't know. Just not, not I'm with you, Bill. I had Tim <laughs> Tebow in Denver. It doesn't, it doesn't look the same. I mean, I love that Tebow year, but having a lefty quarterback long can, can I also bring up one more thing? Cause I think there's a guy who really won this draft. And I think it's a guy who's probably going to become the highest paid college football coach in the history of college football next year. His name is urban Meyer. And as much as it pains me to plug urban Meyer, because I'm a devout Michigan fan. And also, by the way, another interesting subplot that we can talk about at another time was how many guys Michigan got drafted. Uh, But the fact that urban Meyer recruited and brought to Ohio state, the first three picks in the NFL draft, and he's no longer employed there. USC better roll out whatever Brinks truck times 10 that it's going to take to get him to South Florida. I mean, to Southern California, because urban Meyer clearly is the best recruiter that's ever existed in college football. I don't know if he's the best coach, and I don't know if he's the best guy to get guys from point A to point B, but man, he can bring guys to campus that can play. And whether Burrow left or not, Burrow was there. And they did had you read that article that ESPN had this had this past week? I think it was the 2016 Ohio State team. They no. had like they've had like 25 Pro Bowl selections. Like it was like Michael Thomas. It was the team was loaded. It was insane. They've, they've had four guys that have ended up being like the best in their position within the last Zeke Elliott. It was it, the team was just insane. Zeke, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to take anything away from what Nick Saban's done or what Dabo's done or, or what you Coach know, Joe. like you're, we're talking about a guy who's literally sitting on a TV set in his prime right now. And twice he's done that. I know. And he's got dudes that are just <laughs> running but, but Bill, all over is, this is draft. He's a, he's a great recruiter and you're right. Probably the best ever in the history of the sport, but he's crooked. And that's the reason why yeah, he's, had to leave. Sure. He's, had, wow. he's had to leave twice because of those exact reasons. I mean, that's so, a different story. So but yeah. Yeah. That's the, a good the point, thing, Bill. The other thing I thought that was interesting too was I noticed how many players the Pats drafted this year that played for former NFL coaches. So UCLA, they drafted several guys from Michigan, Alabama, obviously. 
And I do think that that's always an interesting subplot with Belichick in terms of watching the teams that he drafts from. But it does seem like this year specifically, he went for guys that play, have played for pro coaches, which I mean, there's a decent amount of them in college football. But um, but I thought that was an interesting thing, too, when I was watching the draft of how many guys, because I think it, it hit me with the Asiasi pick. I was like, oh, man. I was like another, you know, another, another guy who's playing for an ex-pro coach, and it is, it is interesting too. Of like, does that help in terms of what they're used to once they get to the pro game, having played for a coach that coached in the pros? Yeah, I got two quick hitter questions that we're going to end with. But first, I got to ask the the re- uh, resident Philly person there, what oh do you think the Eagles were doing taking Jalen Hurts there? I mean. I get that, you know, you want a backup quarterback, but Jesus, you pick a guy like that in the second round. What were they thinking? I mean, this is Voldemort-esque with some people in this city right now. You cannot say the name Jalen Hurts without evoking this <laughs> reaction. I mean, I've got a couple of buddies who, from the perspective of not only losing out on C.D. Lamb and thinking that the Eagles should have traded up, jumped the Cowboys and gotten a receiver, and that they ended up settling for a guy who – is more of a speed guy and fits a lot of the Deshaun Jackson kind of mold that they've gone with before. Obviously they passed on Jefferson too. So everybody's going to be watching that. That'll be an interesting subplot as, as Eagles fans go through this. But the, the fact that they ended up drafting a quarterback in the second round, and this was my take. And I think what some people, some people in Philly took, you're literally spending a second round pick on a guy who I think if all, if, if everything goes well, never plays. And I think that for a team that feels like they needed weapons in a weapon heavy draft, I think a lot of people are really upset with the idea that this might be some like Taysom Hill light type. We want to have some rinky dink offense when we could have had some guy who's going to contribute and we don't need to take the ball out of the quarterback who we just gave the most guaranteed money to in the history of the NFL off the field. So Let's just say people are a little bit um, pent up, not just with their circumstances, but with the fact that and Doug and Howie going on a media tour about how this was the guy they wanted. And, oh, my God, we can't imagine how people are upset by this is also kind of funny, um, because, again, that's only going to incite more anger and vitriol in the city of brotherly love. I see to me, it makes no sense to get a guy like that in the second round now. If you're going to tell me that, hey, we want to take a flyer on this guy, you do what a lot of teams have done historically, and that is trade up to the end of the first round. You give up very small draft capital, and then you get the guy for a potential 50-year option on his uh, his contract that he's got to sign. When you pick a guy like that in the second round, what the fuck are you thinking? I mean, I get taking your backup uh, quarterback in the second round, but a guy like Hurts with such a high ceiling who's now going to, like you said, Bill, best-case scenario, never touch the, the football – Makes no sense. I really I, think people are drunk on Taysom Hill. I'm, 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 maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into this. I think people are drunk on Taysom Hill. I think a little too drunk. They just signed him to a twenty million dollar contract. I, I think he's the most overplayed football player in the NFL. Period. I don't care. I don't care if there's a quarterback like Flacco who's making twenty million. Taysom Hill plays five plays a game and he makes twenty right. million. That's ridiculous. It's insane. I, I think yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the t- Taysom Hill comparisons, though, it, it's so weird because I'm such a I'm so anti Taysom Hill and what um, Peyton is doing down in New Orleans. I think it's such a bad ego thing, as I pointed out earlier. It's so weird, though. I'm so in on the Hertz pick. I actually love it. I love this Whoa. kid when he brings to the locker room. I, he's such a dynamic personality. I lo- my, one of my favorite most recent sports moments is when he came off the bench and he led Alabama 
uh, to the SEC championship game. And I hate Alabama too, but that was such <laughs> a special moment. This kid was sitting on the bench all year and he came in and he played his heart out. I, I love seeing stuff like that. And I think this kid's just a competitor. He's going to be great for the locker room. And I think with the one point, you know, Eagle fans, I have my, my brother's an Eagle fan. He, he's bitched about it up and left and right and up and down in the middle. At the end of the day, if Jalen Hurts turns into the player that Philadelphia thinks he is, Philadelphia is the best quarterback room in the NFL, and it isn't even fucking close, period. It's not even fucking yeah. close. They have the best quarterback uh, room in the NFL by a country mile if Jalen Hurts is anything close to what Doug Peterson thinks he can be. I know he might yeah. not touch the football, but that does mean something. For sure. And I think I think the other thing that we're not – that, and I think people in Philly have realized this, no one knows what Carson Wentz's health situation is today other than the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think there's a lot of people that, and I think the Eagles have played it the right way by making this not about the health situation at all. But I mean, he did get knocked out of his last game and he was hurt. And I think there's been obviously the injury, you know, we talk about two and stuff, but there's been the injury history with Wentz. And so I think that there's also a, a theory that is Carson Wentz, does this signal that Carson Wentz maybe won't be ready to start the 2020 season. And I think that maybe it's taken a little bit too far of a leap in terms of the pick. Cause I mean, Doug is a quarterback guy. He played quarterback, but I do think that that also is a storyline here of, you know, no one really knows. And uh, people calling out his commitment because he had just had a, his daughter's was just born and all this other stuff. I think is ridiculous. I think Carson Wentz is completely committed to football, but again, if his health if it's between his health and his life, I mean, I, I, and playing football, I think he's going to pick his health. And I think you most guys should do that. Yeah, and you make points. So if the injuries is really the situation here, then I guess you can't knock him here. But then again, you trade him to the first round, you get him for next year. But Coulter, to talk about your point here, I completely agree. He brings a fantastic mentality to the locker room, to the team, to the quarterback room. But you don't want that from your backup quarterback. You want that from your starting quarterback. You can't have your team looking to your backup quarterback for the leadership. And I get it worked in college, but that's a different animal. In the pros, you cannot have two quarterbacks that are the alpha dogs. It just does not work. Especially in Philadelphia where the fan base. Especially there. Let's say Hertz hits DJX for an 80-yard touchdown on a gadget play. And the fans start calling in for Hertz and they want Wentz bench. That city will definitely do that if Hertz is good enough. You're absolutely right. But the way I look at it is, in the best case scenario, Hertz is their starting quarterback in five years, and they've traded Wentz and they've recouped on some of that asset. Worst case scenario, as you guys have said, Hertz doesn't really touch the ball that much. He's the backup quarterback, and he gives them a security blanket with Wentz's injury. I think the Tua yeah. and Wentz comparison is actually pretty much spot on. I think the real problem that scouts had with Tua is that he doesn't know how to take hits or that he, he leaves his body open and susceptible to hits. Carson Wentz is like, that is him in a nutshell. I, I think he's a yeah. great quarterback. One of his biggest weaknesses, if not his best or his largest weakness, the guy does not know how to go down. He goes down so, in such an erratic way as an Eagle fan. You got to be worried about that. And it's like the Eagles fans have yeah. completely forgotten about the fact that he got lost in their playoff game this year. I mean, this guy, does, he takes bad hits sometimes. And, and yeah, sure. sometimes you got to compensate with a quarterback. Can I ask one more thing too? I, I This has been a mind boggling can someone explain to me just what the bears did given how free agency has played out? Cause the way that this thing has gone, and I saw somebody was talking about this today on Twitter, but I cannot for the life of me in the Eagles talk, got me thinking about Nick Foles a little bit. Uh, I can't understand the Nick Foles thing. How did they get a draft pick for Nick Foles when there are legitimate ex MVPs that are just sitting out there or guys that started every game last year, just sitting out there for free. Yeah. I, the only logical thing that's been that I've read about this situation is they wanted to get somebody that's threatening to Mitch, but not overly threatening. 
So if they <laughs> traded if they traded for a Cam Newton, the idea is that he's automatically the starter because he's the MVP. Whereas Nick Foles is kind of the starter, but they're going to have a competition in camp. So I think that was how I it was explained to me. It's still terrible. I mean, the Bears are heavy. I'm going to yes, heavy dollars too. Yeah, I'm going to slam them on our next segment. Um, let's just say the Vikings were one of the teams that won the draft, where mainly because they had such a good draft, but also because the Packers were doing stupid things, as we already said. And the Bears are stupid, too. They're a terribly owned organization. I think their owners are really not good. Their general manager, Brian Pace, is an idiot. And I think their coach, as we've talked about on this podcast, Matt Nagy, is yep. all-time bad. Yeah. So the Vikings yeah. are in a huge driver's seat. I'd take the over on them. I'd take the odds to win the division. I'd take even sprinkle the Lions to win the division. I think the Bears and Packers are they're spinning circles and going downward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a quick hitter quick hitter question for you guys here. Do you think the NFL draft now pivots to a majority virtual draft? Because I thought it went pretty well. Like maybe just the first round is live and then uh, everything else is virtual. I think I'll say Short term, no, they're going to have a bravado play next year or for the next couple of years, and it's going to be back to normal. And then I think people are going to realize, man, we need to go back to at least to your point. I think that's a great idea. A primarily virtual draft where you can get some level of intimacy with the coaching staff, the, the general man, that part of it and seeing inside people's houses and that whole thing, I think put the NFL in a position and a level of common, you know, kind of person that they could not have ever imagined that they were going to be in. And I think that they will try and recreate that. But I think Cleveland's going to be an absolute gong show next year and Vegas the year after that. So I think for two more years, it's going to be back to normal. Yeah. If you look at what they did in Nashville last year, I think I read something that the audience for that Nashville uh, draft in 2019 was bigger than like the NBA finals or something like the NFL. It's the biggest show in town, as we all know. And, you know, our numbers were through the roof at NBC too. Just the draft gets consumed. It's such a, it's so crazy to think it's just a draft. You know, there's no actual, we started this whole segment saying live sports, but it's actually really not a live sport, but it, it is yeah. the hype around it and the, all the content that comes from it before and after the combine and all this uh, it really goes and shows that it has a life of its own. And so I think something as big as the NFL draft, you can't just do it in the living room. I think uh, as someone that's been to the draft twice in New York city, they are going to, They'll make it an event. There's yeah. no doubt about it in my mind. They're always going to have it as an event. This is a big win for them. Uh, to Bill's point, uh, they got to show their humility a little bit somewhere where they get beaten by the NBA a lot. They got to show kind of their faces and their personalities a little bit more in their families. Um, so definitely a gigantic W for the, the NFL. But I think going forward, they're going to still try to make this as big of an event as possible. And Coulter, yeah. you got to live uh, live one of yeah. my lifelong dreams of being in a media war room for the draft. So give us a little bit of what your experience was like. Well, it was unfortunate because it's like uh, we're all separated. Uh-huh. But it was definitely it was definitely fun, uh, kind of laying out the content plans ahead of time, and then it's like because the Eagles are one of our teams, and so that was like you know the Hertz pick completely came out of left field, and all the content that came from that was great, and it just goes and shows it's like you can plan and plan for weeks, but then it's like when your team drafts a quarterback in the second round, you throw out everything in the window. It's like you can prepare, but it really doesn't really matter when the team does something that wild. Uh, You got to kind of just throw everything and and kind of just act on your, act on your, uh, your own intuition. And then the Niners are another team of ours. And we didn't even talk about the trade with Trent Williams. I mean, Talk about a thing that could solidify them as a Super Bowl contender. I know I said, I think Arizona's coming up in that division, but man, when you land an all pro, 
left tackle to a team that was in the Super Bowl. That trade started day three. And so, you know, again, to your point, we're sitting down, you know, talking about what's going to happen in the draft. You know, get this alert ready for this team's pick, this team. And then, boom, right as round three or was, you know, round four, day three starts, comes across, you know, boom, Redskins have traded him. And two days prior, I'd been told by Washington that the deal was done. So uh, I do not know what happened. That the deal was supposed to be done way, way, way in advance of the uh, day three of the draft. But Washington got so, it done finally. Well, actually, one thing on that that was kind of crazy is I thought they were saying that it was in some way contingent on who they were able to draft at the top of that fourth round. And I, was, I thought that was kind of crazy, but I don't know if that was the case. Um, they, did, there was, they, did, they did draft They drafted a tackle, a tackle right? right? Yeah, they did. I don't know if it was that trade was contingent. I think that they were looking at Minnesota and then Minnesota yeah. ball at the very last second. And that was the team uh, when yeah, I was yeah. tipped off that they had a deal in place. I think they had locked it in with Minnesota. And the, if the Vikings did anything wrong last week, if, it, if the NFC championship game is a preview or if that game that they just played against San Francisco in the playoffs last year is the NFC championship game next year. San Fran's going to have the edge at left tackle and, and Minnesota's really going to be kicking themselves. With that said, I could definitely, definitely see the NFC championship game being San Francisco versus Minnesota. That's a little early preseason pick. Yeah. yeah. Can't sleep on the giants. I'm just saying it. <laughs> here, we, here we go. Here nah, we but go. for real, the giants, if they're picking in the, but for real though, if they're picking in the top 10 again next year, Dave's gone. There's just no chance because they can't be in the top 10 after this draft and all the stuff that he's had a chance to do. So it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, before we wrap up, guys, any final parting thoughts on your teams or the draft in general? Mine was just, you know, again, happy that sports are back or was back for temporary purposes. Um, I think the Broncos did improve. I think we're still ch chasing the Chiefs and that's pretty much the update on my end on the, on the Broncos yeah. side of things. I think we got explosive on offense and I'm pretty excited to see that dynamic of the team kind of shift gears a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I, similar, similar takeaways. I think, you know, it's uh, it's always a fun draft when you got to thoroughly research a guy uh, that your team drafts in the second round. Um, and <laughs> his best attribute is special teams. Your best, you're absolutely panicking, and then they end up drafting a kicker who's a white supremacist, and that sets <laughs> off a whole nother internet. Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about that. We didn't even talk about that. The whole draft happened. We didn't even, because he's a kicker who went to URI and got that tattoo when he was in high school. Or, hopefully, or Wasser, right? Yeah, this. I mean, it's unbelievable. But no, I think it was. I think it was a classic Pats draft, and I think you know ultimately you know they needed to build some depth, and I think they did that, and. I think they drafted some guys from some pedigree places like Michigan and Alabama who, you know, are going to be potential day one contributors from a depth perspective all, all the way across the board. Um, so I'm excited. Um, I am interested to see if the Andy Dalton thing does come to fruition or if, um, you know, like we've talked about today, uh, it's really up to Jarrett Stidham to see if Jarrett Stidham can recreate any of the Tom Brady magic from the early 2000s and, you know, kind of try and take this team into the next generation. Now, I know there's history and pedigree there, but you're now putting Michigan and Alabama on the same playing field. So here's all I'm saying. And I, I didn't <laughs> want to address this earlier because it's not a big deal. I think, and I, and this is, this is a biased opinion. So I'm going to say that up front. I think that Michigan has done as good a job developing talent from when it gets to Michigan to when it enters the draft of almost any school in the country. The issue that they've run into is, A, they can't recruit and develop quarterbacks. They can bring guys that are fairly good pedigree 
in, but they can't seemingly progress. And I don't know if that's based off the offense. They change offensive coordinators. Josh Gaddis is there. We'll see what happens next year, year two. But I do think from a player and coaching perspective, they invest a ton in their coaches. They have some of the highest paid assistants in the country. And if you want to look at a program that's developing pro talent, I think you can look at Michigan as a top five school in the country in terms of developing pro talent. Now, whether they ever can compete for a national championship, we'll see. But gotta, they're, they're, putting, Ohio they're putting State dudes first. in the NFL. So if they had 10, 10 guys drafted, just same as Ohio State. The difference is most of them were towards the end of the draft. Is Ohio State's guys were drafted <laughs> in the top 10. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, too. And I, how many times have we seen Alabama guys not pan, pan out? I, I could have sworn I thought Fitzpatrick, the defensive back, I thought he was going to be one of the best players ever when he was picked, yeah. never panned out. You know, uh, TJ Yeldon, running back from Alabama, he never really panned out. You've got Richardson. I mean, there's so many guys that come from that program, to your point, that I feel like they're not necessarily preparing them for the NFL. Alabama prepares their players for Alabama, whereas I think you're right. Michigan is – it's almost like the – school analogy where you're on track to kind of keep graduating up a level. And I think when you're graduating from Michigan's program, you're ready for the NFL. Whereas when you graduate Alabama's program, you just, that's all you've done. You've been in Alabama's program for four years and you've won a lot of games, but there's not necessarily that kind of stare, that climbing of going into the NFL. D Milner is another guy. I was going to say, there was another, and there's so many busts that have came out of there. Eddie Lacy. I mean, it goes, the list is just so far. Mark Barron, Drake or Patrick. I mean, there's been so many busts from that program. Well, Kaz, you better hope that, you know, entering his fifth year in the end, or, or they just up or pulled up his fifth year on peppers. I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest athletes that's ever played in Michigan. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an integral part of the New York giants future. I agree. We did pick up his fifth year option. I was very happy about that. I think he is a uh, very athletic player and I think he's coming into his own and we'll see if our boy, uh, Patrick Graham can uh, mold this guy. I mean, he's a, he's yeah. a utility player, so we'll see. <laughs> I, and, and yeah, just, just one more thing on the Michigan thing. I did think it was pretty cool. First time it ever happened that four starting offensive linemen from the same college team got drafted in the same draft. One of those being Ruiz, who we talked about, Pat's got one of their guards. Um, and you know, I think, uh, I think the Ravens got the, one of their other guards. So, um, it's they they are from an offensive line perspective. It'll be interesting to see if some of these guys can continue to get better. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, that was fun. We had the draft in our life for a little bit to talk some sports. Who knows what's next, but we do have some uh, NFL prop bets that we're going to get to. So at least we've got some kind of gambling we can look forward to. Hope the listeners uh, put some bets down, listen to us, maybe didn't listen to us on some things. Uh, but thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, that's a great episode, and we will see everybody next week on Double Down Trent. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Your money, and you know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's oh, who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. Oh, I'm fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.